0: you for listening to this message from life in the sun christian fellowship we hope you'll be inspired to honor god and make disciples first of all for our visitors i uh, would like to welcome you in behalf of pastor mark and terry who are both off island right now would like to welcome you to to our family life in the sun christian fellowship and as wonderful o- ophelia already uh, gave you that we are here to honor god and to make disciples in micronesia and beyond did we say that I think we did. Yes, we did. And one way that we honor him is really by the use of the giftings that God has given us. So uh, if you've been coming along well, and you've noticed when Pastor Mark is away, you see me and you'll be seeing uh, different more people coming up on the stage. That's really just, uh, uh, we're really honoring the fact that when God gives us a gift, we should be able to use it. Amen? I want to, uh, that word that uh, Robin gave about asking, I want to, But probably not. (laughs) In some other time, I'll probably uh, say that. But anyway, so, so far, this is what we're going through. We're, uh, We're going through a series of past perfect. Can you put up Luke chapter 24, verse 44, please? In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, it says this, Then he, Jesus, said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. In this particular verse, Jesus was already in his resurrected form. And he was meeting with the disciples in the upper room. And he appeared to them out of nowhere. The door were closed. Then he appeared to them out of nowhere. So I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So from the book of Moses beginning from Genesis to the prophets is really the entire Old Testament. And this is really what we're going through as a series. We're going through uh, types, signs, and shadows of who Jesus is or was in the Old Testament and how it was perfected through Jesus and how it really applies to us today as believers. So, so far we have touched on week one. Andy brought us to the Passover lamb, how the whole message was that if I see the blood of the lamb, how they slaughtered the lamb and God told them that Uh, They were in the land of Egypt, but he told the Israelites that slaughter a lamb, take the blood, wipe it on the doorpost of your house, so that when the angel of death passes through your house, he will just pass over you and the plague will not touch you. So that was the week one, the Passover lamb. Week two, Pastor Mark uh, showed us the great high priest who is really the only mediator that we have. I'm not your mediator. Uh, Funny. Your spouse is not your mediator. The, the, your parents are not your mediator. We only have one mediator. It was Jesus himself. Amen? So week three, today, can you show the crucifix? Do we have it? Oh, that one? Okay. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is family, okay? <laughs> I asked for an image of a crucifix. How many of you know what a crucifix is? Most of you know what a crucifix is? It's the cross, the, the, the symbol where uh, Jesus is. Uh, well, the cross, okay? What I was looking for where you have an image of Jesus nailed on the cross, most people will be able to identify the crucifix. In fact, I think it is the most known iconic symbol of Christianity. It is where most people know that Jesus suffered on the cross. Would you agree? Do you know that? Do you, some, in some reason or some knowledge that you know when you see the cross and when you see that uh, 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 some people even wear it as a jewelry, when you see that uh, uh, a cross with Jesus on it, you know that Jesus suffered. You know that in, in that uh, last week he went through suffering, he was beaten, his ears, his ears, his uh, beard were plucked out, his ears were plucked out. It, well, a crown kind of, uh, okay, just in case you didn't read your Bible, that wasn't true. His ears was not plucked out. His beard were plucked out. A crown of thorns was shoved into his head, and he was whipped, okay? So that's what the crucifix is, or that's what really uh, the event of the crucifix, the last week of Jesus. But what most people may not know is, why did he suffer? We know that he suffered, but the question is, why did he really suffer? And that's week three of our series Today is the, the suffering servant. And it could be the least popular or the least, well, least known among the typologies or the signs and the shadows because it was only mentioned in the book of Isaiah. In fact, I think it's only mentioned in two chapters. But yet, it is really the description of the last week of Jesus from the time to the triumphant entry until the, he died on the cross. So that is really the suffering servant. Are you with me so far? Yeah. So for us to answer this question, why did Jesus really suffer? I believe we have to go back to the story of Abraham and Noah. So let's begin with that. In fact, let's begin by prayer. You guys want to pray one more time? Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for this word. Father, thank you that even before this passage, you said that you prayed for your disciples and you, and you prayed for them that Lord open the scriptures to them. And Lord, that is my prayer today, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, that we would see the scripture open to us, that we would not just merely read or listen to the man for 30 minutes, I don't even know what he's saying, but Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see you in the scripture, you would open our hearts just to even receive and to able to apply it in Jesus' name. So let's begin With the story of Abraham, Abraham was a man that was chosen by God. Out of the whole world, God chose a pagan, meaning an unbeliever, told him, go to this land, and I will be your God. If you allow me to be your God, I will be your God, and I will bless you, I will make you numerous, then out of you, out of one person, a whole nation will come from you. So we see that there was this great relationship with God and Abraham. In fact, Abraham was one that was called a friend of God. So that speaks of relationship. So within that relationship, one day, God decided to visit Abraham. And this is where the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? If you're familiar with that, hang on with me. So God visits Abraham together with two angels. And in his reasoning, he said, should I, should I, should I not tell Abraham what I am doing? But of course, what happened was he did. So there was, an, in the passage, Abraham stood next to God while the two angels go to Sodom. And Abraham, knowing that God was about to bring judgment on Sodom, this is what Abraham had to say. Genesis chapter 18. So Abraham was standing right next to God. He came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this—to stay, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be, or so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you! Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? This passage gives us two realities: a reality that God is a judge, and the reality of man. First, let's look at the reality of God. Abraham, being in a relationship with God, has already a knowledge of how God is. Based on your, if you uh, read through the story of Abraham, whenever God introduces a nature of himself, he always begins by saying, I am. That's why if you read through the story of Abraham, God would always say, I am the almighty God. Because he would always introduce himself and according to his nature and according to his attributes. I am your shield and your very great reward. So here we can almost assume that Abraham already knows that God is a judge and his judgment is just. So that's the first reality. Uh, Psalms 97, please. In Psalms 97, this is what it says. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So this even solidifies it, that righteousness and justice is the foundation of God's throne. There's righteousness in His throne, and there is justice in His throne. Now, I had an experience of being selected as a jury uh, last year. It was kind of interesting. I actually wanted to be selected because I want to experience how it is, and now it actually helped me to understand. When you're selected as a jury, you go to a panel. There's like how many? There was a hundred of us. I think more than a hundred of us. And each one would go one by one, whatever, uh, we, whatever case we're selected, we go into the court, I guess that's what you call the courtroom, and the judge is there. And the selection begins by asking, who among you here? So they'll introduce the defendant, they'll introduce the, the prosecutor, they'll introduce the case to everybody who's there, who's, who's a nominee to be selected as a juror. And then they would ask questions one by one. And the first question is because... Uh, for our panel, it was a, uh, an assault case. So the first question that the judge asked is, has anybody here had experience being assaulted? Or has anybody in this uh, panel or in this uh, selection, whether it's your relative or your next of kin, have they been assaulted and you are involved in it? So people would raise up their hand. And, and those who raise up their hand, the judge would ask now, knowing or having that experience would that give you an impartial view of this case and some would say yes and some would say no no judge some would say no judge i would be fair to my judgement or i would be fair with my decision so one by one question after que- uh, question and then they would also in, they also introduce who was among the room and they would ask now how many of you here is somehow related or associated with any person that's part of either it's either the marshals the prosecutor, the defendant, the judge himself, and people would raise up their hand, oh yes, judge, I know you were neighbors. So that, that's so, and of course the judge would ask again, now, because you have this association or relationship, would that give you an impartial view of the case? And people would give their answer. And then there would even be, and, and you know this, there, there's even cases on Guam, because we're so small, that where the judge themselves would have to step down. On a certain case. Why? Because of relationship, because of association. See a human judge is influenced basically, as I said, either by association, even in with emotion, even with because of relationship, especially for Guam, we're so small, and they and sometimes that affects their decision in giving a judgment. Just because they're compelled to give the law, sometimes they feel remorseful about sentencing a man. They feel emotional. They even feel apologetic because somehow uh, that's just human. But because they're in that position as a judge, they're still compelled by law to give a sentence. Now, our God is not like that. Amen. (laughs) Can you put up that coat, please? There is nothing and never, and can never be anything outside of the nature of God which can move him in the least degree. For a human judge, sometimes they can be influenced. But for our God, there is nothing, nothing outside of his nature that can move him to the least degree. Nothing at all. So when God brings a judgment, it is true, it is just, and it is righteous. That's just the reality of God. Because His reason does not come from the outside. His reason comes from His uncreated being. There's nothing that was added from eternity. Nothing was changed. Nothing was removed. He is what He is from, the uncre- from His uncreated being. He does not get influenced to conform... And change his judgment. When God judges the evil and he judges the righteous, his judgment is just. Well, the story, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you the end of the story, right? The end of the story is when Abraham asked the Lord, can you bring up that uh, passage, please? Genesis 18. When Abraham asked God, would you judge the wicked along with the righteous? Would you, being the judge of all the earth, do that? And of course, God said no. And we saw this, that he did not judge the righteous along with the wicked. In the days of Noah, it was a similar story. The days of Noah, God deemed that the whole earth, the whole earth and the language that was used was that every intent of the thoughts of the heart of man is evil continually. That's what God said. But then he said, but i have found gray or noah found grace in the eyes of god and he was deemed to be a righteous man so god will not judge the wicked along with the righteous there's a distinction because he is a just god and that's just the reality of god amen he is just when he judges he is very he is simply acting because he is just and that's the reality of him that's the truth about him now the reality of man on the other hand is this Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2 Ecclesiastes the writer of Ecclesiastes as you know is Solomon now this is his observation for is that for there is not for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin Wait a minute who is he to qualify this who is Solomon that he can make this observation and qualify this well, some of you might know that Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived. Amen? Amen? You guys know that? He is the wisest man that ever lived. But if you go back to the story in Kings, when God appeared to Solomon, what Solomon really asked was this. I don't have it with me. I don't have it on the, on the screen. But when God told Solomon, ask me anything and I will grant it to you, Solomon asked, Lord, I am young inexperienced and you have a great nation that you, you want me to lead. Therefore, grant me an understanding heart to discern good and evil. That what Solomon asked for. An understanding heart to discern what is good and what is evil. So it's almost like God gave him a, uh, a, mind, a, a mind of his own to be able to see. It's almost like a nature of God was placed upon uh, Solomon that he was able to discern what's good and evil. So Ecclesiastes tells us this that Solomon in his observation was that there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. You don't need to say amen, but amen. Paul, in his writing in Romans, speak of the same thing. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. It says, as it is written, written from where? Written from Ecclesiastes. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, there is none who understand, there is none who seeks God. There is no, no, no one who is good, no one understands, no one at all. It says no one. But how can that be? No one who is good? In, in Paul's writing in Romans, it continues to say that for all have sinned. Some of you are familiar with this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then 6.23 tells us that for the wages of sin is death, but the give of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen? But how can that be? How can you tell me, Armin, or that man who's speaking? By the way, my name is Armin, for those of you who are visiting. How can you tell me, Armin, who you're only going to be there for 30 minutes, that there's nobody who's good? Among the billions of people in the world, you're telling me that there's nobody who's good? Define me what's good. (laughs) What is really good? See, we're living in a generation right now where, where our society does not know what is black and what's white. We have made black to be gray and white to be gray. What we used to think that was evil before is now called intolerant. When we say that's wrong, people say, no, that's being intolerant. When we say that's good, or you're being just uh, old passion and all of this. Our, our nation has, uh, has some rulings that is not according to the word of God anymore. But yet we think that it's good out of our own uh, thinking, man's own thinking. It's good and it's bad. But what about God's thinking? Where does he say what is good and where does he say that it's bad? For us to understand what it is that's good in God's eyes, we gotta go back to where he first said it is good. And that's in creation. In the account of creation, those of you who are familiar with the story, the first day God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Amen? Correct? I'm correct with my Bible? Said uh, And there was light. Then God said, and he looked at the light, and he said, it is good. Then the next day, same thing. God spoke. Things were created. He looked at it and said, it is good. Third day, it is good. Fourth day, it is good. Fifth day, it is good. Sixth day, it is not good for man to be alone. Not to be alone. Man was created to be good, but he wasn't created to be alone. So that's where we see where God said, it is good. So how does he define what is good? Good is simply this in the eyes of God. Anything in the universe that conforms to the nature of God is good. Anything in the universe that conforms to the nature of God is good. And if it does not conform to the nature of God, it is evil. Did you hear me, church? Anything in the universe that conforms to the nature of God is good, and anything that fails to conform to the nature of God should be called evil. Period. That's all it is. And God is just when He said that. He is righteous when He said that. And He is true when He said that. And because we, man, as I uh, let me say, has sin, and every man has sin, sin is the penalty for sin has always been debt. When the justice of God meets with our moral situation, the judgment is that you have sinned, therefore death has to be there. The penalty, the judgment has to be death. Now in view of that, here's the question. How then can man approach God? How then can God justify those who are unjust? Where do we stand now But since God, had, the, the reality of man is we are all sinners and God is just in his judgment? Now to answer that, we'll give you why Jesus had to suffer. For those of you that we know Jesus suffered but we don't know why he suffered, well the answer to that question is where do we stand being that man is a sinner and God is just in, ju- in his judgment? Well the answer really is Jesus. As kids in kids' church would always say, what's the answer? Jesus. Jesus is always the answer. Yeah. Amen? Amen? I am running out of time. <laughs> Amen? So, so why did he suffer? Well, the two stories that I told you, Abraham and Noah, the problem has always been unrighteousness. The problem has always been sin. So for God to justify the unrighteous, sin has to be removed. Unrighteousness has to be removed. In week one, Andy already gave us almost a prelude to this, that through the blood of Christ, God will pass over. His judgment will pass over. And this has been the practice in the Old Testament. When God first instituted the Passover, 50 days later, he also instituted the law at Mount Sinai. And in the law, this is where you see the practice of sacrificial animals because it's always been in the blood. The reason why there's a blood, because blood is, Blood always stiffifies life. For one life to be saved, another life has to be given. That's just how the uh, I do not understand why, but that's just how the mind of God works. One life for another. Now, for for in the Old Testament, Hebrews 10. This is what the priests had to do, because God instituted the the law. For every sin, there has to be for sin to be covered. There has to be a sacrifice. So the priest, every day, the priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. It says daily. I don't know if you know this, but there's actually two sacrifices that is slaughtered daily. Two lambs each day. One in the morning and one in the afternoon. The afternoon coincides with the Passover lamb when he was killed, where they were also killing the Passover and they were also killing the the, the afternoon sacrifice. So can you imagine the priest? His daily routine is to kill a lamb. Two every day. And that's what he does. Every day he ministers repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. Now I said earlier, bring bring back the coat please. There is nothing and can never be anything outside of the nature of God which can move him in the less degree. So how can we have a a perpetual uh, forgiveness of sin if there's nothing in his nature that can change him or that can move him? Then it must have come from the nature of God himself. And that's why it has to be Jesus. The animal sacrifices can only justify you to your next sin. And that is why I believe it has to be two sacrifices a day. So just in case in the midday you fall into sin, the afternoon sacrifice covers you. Isn't that amazing? In the heart of God, remember, Pastor Mark talked about in the, uh, one of our series about Sabbath, Pastor Mark talked about it's never about the practice. It's never about the practice. The sacrifices, the offering, it's never about the practice, church. It's never about practicing. It's really about the people. All those sacrifices was intended to benefit the worshiper. It was intended so that the worshiper can actually be with God all the time. Two sacrifices a day so that if you stumble again later on in the afternoon, the next day, the next morning, the priest would open again with a dead lamb. Another sacrifice. So your sin is covered again. But that's daily, year after year, until one that came out of God himself has to change it. And it was only Jesus that can attain that. Hebrews ten twelve. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice, one, for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because it was no longer needed for another sacrifice. It is done. By, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Amen? And church, that is why Jesus has to suffer. That is why it has to be Jesus, because the animals is not enough. The blood of animals is not enough. It has to be from somebody out of God himself to change the mind of God or to change God. And who was that? And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he came to what? He became flesh. Out of God himself, out of the nature of God himself, comes Jesus to change this old system, to give us a solution that we can have a perpetual forgiveness of our sin. Amen? And that is why he suffered. Point number one. (laughs) Why did Jesus suffer? To satisfy the justice of God. If you're going to stand before God out of your own doing out of your own action, out of your own self-thinking or self-righteousness, where do you stand? Solomon already told you there's none who does good. There's none. None means none. I don't know how you can expound on the word none or the word nothing, but that word means none. Amen? We understand what none is, right? There's nothing. So how do we stand with that justice? Well, Jesus was the one who had to suffer for, just, for that justice. Isaiah. In Isaiah, this is what it says. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. In some translation, it says, yet it pleased the Lord to crush him. In your natural mind, it almost seems like, why would God the Father crush his own son? And why would he please in doing it? It's a, it's a strong word. But really, the pleasure is not on the crushing itself but the result of what the crushing has attained. That is really where God was so pleased. How can a God who is so pleased with his own son, who loved his own son, and then yet it says that it pleased him to crush him because he he knew that the result of the crushing would gain us something. So what is it? So we know that Jesus suffered so that the justice of God can be satisfied. Yeah, but what did that result in? What was the result of the suffering of Christ? Well, there's really plenty. There's numerous, but I only want to focus on one because I believe the first one is like a foundation, how we teach biblical foundation. If you get your foundations right, the ones after it can be right. So one, I just want to focus on one. What was the result of the suffering of Christ? First, Peter who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. The issue from Moses, or Moses, I'm sorry, from Noah to Abraham, was righteous man, wicked man. Wicked man gets judged and punished. Righteous man is saved. Now, because Jesus had suffered for us, we can now attain a gift of righteousness. And I say a gift, why is it a gift? Because it was never based upon our action. Noah and Abraham were men who God said, you have pound paper in my eyes. Noah, in, in, uh, I hope you read this on your own. I don't have all the, all the time to put all the scriptures. But Noah, in the way the Bible says is that Noah was righteous in, my, in this generation. God himself said Noah was righteous. But yet Noah wasn't righteous because of his action. He was righteous because it was the grace of God that made him righteous. Abraham was the same thing. Abraham was not righteous because he had it all together. In fact, Abraham did not have it all together. If you were the wife of Abraham, I don't think you'd like him. <laughs> Would you? Abraham had to lie twice because his life was, being in, was put into, in danger. So he told the, the kings and the parents that, Oh, by the way, Sarah is my sister. Isn't she beautiful? So that he can save his own skin. So we know that Abraham was not altogether there. But yet God said that righteousness was credited to him. The word credited is really the word imputed. It was put upon your account. So Abraham was credited to be righteous based on just believing who he is. So now because Jesus has suffered for us, we can now stand in that same righteousness. A gift of righteousness. 2 Corinthians speaks of this. That for he, meaning the Father, made him, Jesus, who had no sin. Peter talks about he did no sin. John talks about in him is no sin. A man who had no sin, did no sin, never thought about sinning. It says God the Father made him, a man who's perfect, to be sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God. In Romans, it speaks of the same thing. It says that in Romans chapter 5, it says that by the, the abundance grace that god has given us and the gift of righteousness we can live life exactly how god intended life to be lived to reign in life to reign like a king because that's what god intended our life to be from the very beginning of the garden to take dominion so because of jesus we can have that life of righteousness all over again amen See, church in closing when you were on the other side of the justice of God, when you're on the wicked side, there's no action that you can do because that's what it says. Basically, that's the truth. But then, because of Jesus, and you, as a, if you are a sinner, and you come to Him in repentance, and you receive what He has done, now the justice that was on that side now goes to your side. Did you, did you get what I mean? If this is the, if this is the cross... This is wicked side, this is the righteous side. But the justice of God has already paid for your penalty. The justice of God has already punished your sin. He has already exhausted all the judgment on Jesus. So now that you become a... When you repent as a sinner and receive that, now that justice is now on your side. And this is what 1 John 1, 9 really means. There's so much confusion with this verse. It says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is speaking to an unbeliever. If you're an unbeliever and you're repentant and you come to God and ask for forgiveness, He is faithful and He is just because your sins has already been put upon the body of Christ and it's already been judged 2,000 years ago on the cross. Therefore, what God is saying is that if you are a believer... If you are my son, then never again can I judge you uh, on a sin that was already judged 2,000 years ago. That would be unjust on my part. What's more unjustly is that, then how would Jesus feel? I've already judged your sin on his body, and now I'm judging it again. That's why, church, if you're a believer, your sins have already been judged. Stop moping around. It's already been done. Amen? So church, Pastor Mark ended uh, last week's message where we can enter boldly. And church, that is really how we can enter boldly. We began with uh, our prophetic, with the word of ask, ask big. You know, one of the reasons why we as children of God cannot ask big is because we don't know what we have. Because we're so confused whether, oh, did God really forgive me for this sin? Or did God really forgive me for this sin? First John says that he is just when he forgave your sin. He cannot judge your sin all over again when it was already judged in the put of the cross. And that's why if you are a believer, if you have taken that, if you receive what he has done, you have repented, according to John, that God is just, that he will never look at your sin again. Because it was already dealt with at Jesus. Amen. So that's why we can enter boldly in Christ we can enter boldly that there should be no shame there should be no confusion and uncertainty whether it was that re- is my sins forgiven is it is it is it amen let's just just stand up and pray if you're here today and perhaps this is the first time you, you you actually understood or you this is the first time you really or you You're standing there on your own righteousness and you're thinking, I can find my way to God. I hope that I have convinced you there is really no other way but Jesus himself. And if that's you, I hope that you don't leave today knowing that that's you. Grab somebody for prayer.